Hello and welcome to episode two of the Holy Crap in Sports podcast with Pete Davis, baseball edition of what's going on. Hello, it's uh, Wednesday, April 3rd, about uh, 6.51 p.m. Eastern Time. So, of course, we're going to hit you with uh, what's going on in baseball. And, and as always, we're Brave-centric because we're here in Atlanta. But we'll be covering everybody else in uh, Major League Baseball as well. And we'll start off with some news going on. Not very good news, unfortunately, for the Braves or anyone who loves baseball. As Hall of Fame uh, ex-Braves skipper Bobby Cox is in the hospital, the Hall of Famer, the Atlanta Braves' former longtime manager, been admitted to an Atlanta-area hospital uh, in Cobb County. Braves manager Brian Snicker told the Associated Press that he reached out to Cox's family today and was very concerned but would not share details of his condition or could not. Bobby Cox is 77 years old admitted with an undisclosed illness, and uh, they're saying, well, it could have been a stroke. Uh, Cox wore his Braves jersey while shouting play ball during the first pitch Monday night's home opener against the Chicago Cubs. So it came as rather a shock to everybody. The very next day, he's in the hospital. Bobby ranks fourth all-time with 2,504 wins, 29 years as a manager, including 25 years with two stints with the Braves and four years up with the Blue Jays. Cox led the Bravos to a 14 straight division titles from 1991 to 2005, which probably will never be done again, including the 95 World Series title over the Indians. Uh, let's see, the Braves retired. Bobby Cox is number six following his final season as manager back in 2010. Yeah, it's been nine years since he was there. He entered the Hall of Fame back in 2014 with two of his former pitchers, Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin. And I have a few stories about Bobby Cox. Not very long ones here. Uh, in fact, I got a lot of stories about Bobby Cox. But here's the three that touched me uh, most personally on this. And uh, prayers and thoughts going out to him and his family that he'll fully recover. And speaking of him being in the hospital, uh, my father had quadruple bypass surgery uh, down in Peabon Hospital, downtown Atlanta. Well, not downtown, just north of there. This is back in the... Hmm, I'd say late 90s, I'm going to say somewhere around there. And we're sitting there in the waiting room early one morning, waiting for him to be, you know, signed in and everything. And I look over just a few feet away, and there's Bobby Cox. And uh, he looked at me, and I looked at him. We nodded at each other because he kind of knew who I was. And, of course, I knew who he was. And that's part of the great things about being in Atlanta. I guess why Elton John lives here is not everybody messes with you or bothers you too much here in Atlanta if you're a celebrity. And nobody was messing with him. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know what? I've bugged him so many times after Braves games and everything. I'm not going to bug him now. I don't know if he's here at the hospital for something for him, a procedure, or maybe something for a friend or family, but I'm not going to bug him. So, and uh, a little respect there for Bobby Cox. A lot of respect, actually. Uh, another thing, I was down at the, the Disney Complex in Orlando for a spring training game. And this is the, my first spring training covering the Braves down there. And so I didn't know all the rules. And I'm down in the, the dugout before a game, interviewing players. And I turn around and I notice I'm the only member of the media still standing there. And Bobby Cox, always the gentleman, walks up to me and says, uh, you know you're not supposed to be here right now, right? And I said, no, sir, I did not, but I know now. He goes, that's all right, just you know, as long as you learn. And he pointed to a sign that said, you know, get out. So I, I left. And... A great memory I have with him, one of the greatest memories I have, is after the Braves won in 95, Game 6. I was at Game 6, and my father was there, and my friend Jeremy Ferguson, both are no longer with us. And uh, my dad went back to the um, 
studio with me to do the post-game show, uh, WGST in Atlanta. And that was a great memory to have my dad there as we were all celebrating, finally, a World Series win in Atlanta, a championship in Atlanta, holy cow. And uh, a few days later, the phone rings on my show. I was doing a sports show at night. The phone rings, and it's Bobby Cox, unsolicited, calls up the show, thanking me for the support I'd given the Braves over the season. Because, frankly, I was about the only person in Atlanta who said, this is the year. This is the year. I know they're going to do it this year. I don't know why I thought that. I thought that in spring training. I thought that throughout 1995. And for him to call up and thank me personally, I had nothing to do with them winning. I thought that was a very genuine thing to do. And I never ever forgot that. So prayers and thoughts, once again, going out to Bobby Cox. Hopefully he'll make a full recovery from whatever is ailing him. Uh, some good news for the Braves, though, and uh, shocking news for a lot of people around baseball, is Ronald Acuna Jr. will now draw a higher average value through what would have been his arbitration-eligible seasons than Bryce Harper and Manny Machado did during theirs. And this is according to Martin Bowman of MLB.com. Uh, Acuna is not going to be chasing the $300 million deals with those two stars. They just got those after their uh, 25-year-old seasons. Acuna will approach his 30th birthday getting the financial comfort and security he's already gained from the Braves. And, of course, he comes from Venezuela or down there, and uh, that's a lot of bad stuff going on down there, especially economically and all that. Acuna didn't hide his glee. He's eight-year, $100 million contract extension into a $17 million option, a $10 million buyout for both the 2027 and 28 seasons. He's just turned 21. He's already been guaranteed $100 million, just 115 games into his major league career. The extension is the largest ever given to a player with as little service time as Acuna has, 165 days. And here's a little uh, production value. We have a little cut of uh, Ronald speaking English. He's getting better with his English, talking about uh, why he signed uh, right now. We hope. I'm really so happy to be here in Atlanta for a long time. I love my teammates, my fans, the people. I want to say thank you the organization for trust me for this contract so happy you know <laughs> yeah he should be happy $100 million right there I'd be very 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 happy I'm going to turn this down right now in case someone decides to call me which is usually a good show anyway more on Acuna here he hit 293 a team high 26 home runs last year a 917 OPS 16 steals over 111 games he's one of five players in baseball history to hit 26 homers in a season prior to his 21st birthday He's also the 10th player in Major League Baseball history and the first since Mike Trout back in 2012 to have 25 homers and 15 steals in his rookie season. And he is just a, a blast to watch play down here in Georgia. And by the way, we should have a guest coming up later on uh, this month of April. I don't know if you've heard about this guy. He's, uh, basically on Twitter, he's called The Baseball Brit. You can follow him at Baseball Brit. That's one T at the end there. And it's an Englishman who has quit his job teaching English in China. And he's traveling the world from Japan to the U.S. Uh, to basically watch uh, baseball games. He's going to go to Canada. He's going to go to Mexico. He's going to watch it. And he's going to be here in Atlanta late in April to watch the Rockies and the Braves and the Padres and the Braves. He's also going to take on an MLS game, uh, the uh, MLS champion Atlanta United taking on somebody. So he's going to be here to watch that and work. Hopefully going to line him up and talk to him a little later in this month. Jason Stark had a good note, and he got it from Elias Sports. The Phillies off to such a hot start, and uh, they had a walk-off loss today to the Nationals. They blew a lead there late. 
This is the first season that the Phillies started 4-0 since 1915. That's during World War I. Uh, that 103-year streak without going 4-0 is the longest in the history of baseball and football and basketball. So that's a long time. Uh, some news around the league here. Francisco Lindor, the great Indians uh, shortstop, played catch uh, today. It's Wednesday. But he's going to miss two more weeks with a sprained left ankle, which he got recovering from a strained right calf uh, before spring training. The switch hitter was making steady progress with that calf injury when he was doing a uh, rundown in Arizona, and he uh, rolled his ankle. So bad luck there for the Indians. Lindor batted 277 last season. 38 home runs, 92 RBIs, 25 steals. Baseball needs this guy. He's very, very exciting to watch. Uh, other good news for the Cleveland Indians, uh, Terry Francona, the manager, has signed a two-year contract extension through the 2022 season, did it today, giving him more security and a chance to become the longest tenured manager in Cleveland history, which is a long history. Uh, since being hired back in 2013, Francona has led the Indians to three consecutive American League Central titles, the World Series in 2016, which they should have won, but they lost. Uh, Cleveland lost Game 7 and 10 innings to the Cubbies. The Indians favored to win the division again here in 2019 and made the postseason four times under Francona, had a winning record six times, and had the AL's best record under uh, him. Francona joined the Indians after a pretty good run in Boston, helping the Red Sox in their 86-year World Series title drought back in 04, led them to another championship in 07 before he left there in 2011. Cleveland... A familiar place to him as his father played six seasons for the Indians, so he knows all about Cleveland. If he stays three more years with the Indians, Francona will surpass the great Lou Boudreau for the longest managerial run with the Indians. Boudreau was also an all-star shortstop, played for the Indians from 1942 to 1950, and led them to their last series title in 1948. And guess who they beat in 1948? It was all Native American World Series as the Indians beat the Boston Braves that year. The Yankees just lost again today. They've lost two out of three to the Orioles and two out of three to the Tigers. Who would have thought that? Place your bets. The Yankees have another hurt player as the oft-injured, and just tell me when he's able to play, shortstop Troy Tulowitzki left the game today, and he was trying to come back from pretty bad foot and ankle injuries all of last season he missed now has a left calf strain and was so bad he had to leave the ballpark and went to a New York Presbyterian Hospital. We haven't heard anything since then about whether uh, he's going to be able to come back soon or not. He's only been in five games this season. Well, they've only played six. He's batting 182, two for 11, just one double and one home run. Both hits were his first in the big league game since July of 2017. And what a great Hall of Fame career that has been derailed for, for injuries. Uh, if it's serious enough for him to go on the injury list, he'll join 10 other players on it. No other major league team has more than eight on the IL so far. Giancarlo Stanton is already on there with his left bicep strain, and Miguel Andujar, a small labrum tear, is going to miss some time, and they're talking about he could miss the whole season if he has to have surgery. And that is a huge blow because he is an up-and-comer there at third base for them. Well, if you haven't uh, paid attention to Manny Machado out in San Diego, and who has, because frankly everybody's in bed by the time the game comes on, uh, Manny is doing Manny again. What is it about ballplayers with the name Manny? He was called out on batter's interference after dropping his bat near Diamondbacks catcher John Ryan Murphy as Murphy tried to catch a pop-up. 
Well, it started uh, a lot of people screaming and hollering, and Padres manager Andrew Green got ejected from last night's game. Machado appeared to brush Murphy as he broke out of the box, while Murphy moved to catch a pop-up about 10 feet down the first base line. As he ran by, he wasn't just happy with dropping the bat. He did it at his feet, and the bat didn't touch Murphy. Uh, the catcher dropped the pop foul, but plate umpire Bill Welke signaled for interference and called Machado out because you know he brushed up against him, so he, he tried twice to do it. Green came out to argue, threw his cap on the ground like uh, <laughs> uh, Baltimore Orioles manager Earl Weaver I used to know, and uh, got tossed on it. The Diamondbacks went on to win the game, so no harm, no foul there. Uh, Machado said, well, I don't know if I contacted him. Honestly, I didn't even know what was going on until Andy came out there and started arguing. I had asked him, was I out? Was I safe? And he was like, uh, I don't know. At that point, I went back to the batter's box. Mm-hmm. Machado has been criticized in the past for these ethics, what they call baseball ethics, called a dirty player by National League MVP Christian Yelich during last year's postseason. For Christian Yelich to come out and say something about you, it's got to be pretty bad. Uh, let's see. Machado stepped on Brewer's first baseman Jesus Aguilar's leg while running out of ground out. That's bad in two senses. One, you shouldn't step on the player like that. And two, Aguilar's big enough to snap Machado in half. In fact, I'm thinking if Aguilar stays healthy, he's going to have a monster year up in the Brewers in Milwaukee. So pay attention to Jesus Aguilar up there. Some other news going on uh, for you Stephen A. Smith fans at ESPN. Boy, you can't get enough of him. According to Andrew Marchand, Stephen A. Smith is in line to become the highest-paid on-air person at ESPN with potentially boosting his salary to get this. I hope you're sitting down because I am. $10 million per year in a time where ESPN is cutting salaries right and left. Mike Greenberg is paid $6.5 million to host Get Up, which is a horrible show. Uh, and they, they brag about it because it's done from a pier in New York City, as if that's supposed to make me go, if I'm living in Omaha, to say, huh, they're broadcasting from a pier on Manhattan. That must mean everything they say is absolutely believable. I'm going to have to tune in to these guys because these New Yorkers know what they're talking about, said no one ever. PTI's Michael Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser are believed to be in Greenberg's neighborhood of $6 million. Sports center Scott Van Pelt, who does a very good job late at night. In fact, his ratings are showing it. Uh, looks like he's going to be getting a raise as well. But Stephen A. Smith, who's been lampooned on Saturday Night Live, among other places, is the biggest non-athlete celebrity at ESPN. Hard to believe. In fact, this may be an anecdotal story. I don't even know if this is true or not, but I was talking to a former Atlanta Journal-Constitution sports writer who said that Stephen A. once worked there like when he was really young. Maybe he was just an intern or something. I don't know. And this sports writer told me that everybody hated him even then because he wouldn't shut up. So... I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, Smith, who lives up there, he's actually from Queens, New York, uh, is supposedly well-liked by the top execs, the big dogs at ESPN, because he's always willing to go on air. And remember that, kids, if you're thinking about broadcasting, whatever they ask you to do, do it. Uh, other top talent have been known to complain if they're overused. What else are they doing in Bristol? You ever been to Bristol, Connecticut? Very disappointing. And I got to tell you, Connecticut, the cities are very disappointing. Outside of Hartford, Mark Twain's house, pretty, pretty bad, rough neighborhoods right there. If you go to see Yale in New Haven, rough neighborhood. That's all I'm saying. It rivals uh, Southern California for the bad neighborhood. Uh, we got some feuds going on with former Mets. This is always fun. 
ex-Met Daryl Strawberry is taking sides with Ron Darling, Lenny Dykstra feud. Yes, Ron Darling and Lenny Dykstra are feuding, and Daryl Strawberry says one of them is a liar. Ex-Mets pitcher Ron Darling is accusing former teammate Dykstra of using racial slurs at Game 3 of the 1986 World Series. The Mets went on to beat the uh, Red Sox in seven games. According to Mike Rosenstein of NJ.com, former Mets outfitter Daryl Strawberry came forward on Tuesday and sides with Dykstra, who Darling accused of hurling racial slurs at Boston Red Sox right-hander Dennis Oral Can Boyd during Game 3 of the 1986 World Series at Fenway Park. I think Oral Can hails from Mississippi. Strawberry appeared on the Michael K. Show, great broadcaster, by the way, to defend Dykstra. According to the New York Post, here's what Strawberry said, and I quote, You don't do that. You don't make up things about a person that other players didn't hear or other players didn't know about. Of course, I would have never. I would have jumped on Dykstra about it if he ever said anything like that. I never heard Lenny say anything racist. Never, ever. He's not. I know this guy. I've seen this guy. I came through the minor leagues with him. I've had him in my home. This is not true, and it's not fair, end quote. That was Daryl Strawberry about Lenny Dykstra. Well, Bob Raisman of, uh, I forget who he writes for up there, says, uh, went on to say Strawberry, said, this is shocking to me that Ronnie would step out in a book, Ron Darling, and say something like this about Lenny. I don't have Darling's back. I don't believe it. I don't even want to waste my time talking to him, Ron Darling. Why bring it up now to sell books? And by the way, Strawberry is not the only ex-Met backing Dykstra. According to ESPN, former Mets teammates Dwight Gooden and Kevin Mitchell, both African-American, also said on the Michael K. show that they never heard Dykstra direct slurs at Boyd. Now, Strawberry's comments came after Boyd's confusing appearances on WFAN's Carlin, Maggie, and Bart. That's an interesting name. In which he said, Dykstra's racial comments were news to me, but then said he believed it happened. That he believed it happened. Anyway, I shouldn't be making fun of the name Carl and Maggie and Bart when I have a show called Holy Crap at Sports. Uh, Darling went on ESPN, the Golic and Wingo show, saying, uh, I heard what I heard, and I put it in the book for a reason. He said he has received text messages from other members of the 1986 Mets, Darling has, who said, they have my back. Meanwhile, Dykstra has spoken to uh, NJ Advanced Media up there in New Jersey, and called Darling a liar. He crossed the line. He lied, and you can't do that, especially when it's something as sensitive as this. Hmm. On Sunday, Dykstra said he plans to sue Darling for defamation. None of this is true, and I can prove it. Dykstra says he can prove it. Here's his proof. For one thing, during a World Series game, you're supposed to be focused, not acting out like he's suggesting. Uh, Lenny, I hate to break this to you, but that's not really admissible in court. As for what expected and started this whole thing, here's the excerpt from Darling's book, which started it all. Oral Ken was on the receiving end of the ugliest piece of vitriol I've ever heard, in a bar, on a baseball diamond, anywhere, Darling wrote, adding that the taunts were worse than anything Jackie Robinson might have heard. I doubt that. I don't want to be too specific here because I don't want to commemorate this dark, low moment in Mets history in that way. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Ron Darling does a good job on MLB Network, one of the few there who does, and I could actually you know, stomach and listen to for a while. It'll be interesting. I mean, I, I know he has a book out. He's trying to sell books, but why would he throw Dykstra under the bus unless he thinks he could get away with it because Dykstra's Dykstra. He's been in a lot of trouble over the last 20, 30 years. He's gone to prison for, for something as well. Anyway, let's end it on this little high note here. If you're familiar with Arkansas baseball, and none of you are, 
In fact, I'm not either, even though I spent a lot of summers there. In 97 years of playing college baseball, the University of Arkansas Razorbacks had never faced a team inside its own state's borders. That is very hard to believe. 90, almost 100 years of playing baseball. And, of course, you've got to say, outside of Arkansas State, name me another university or college team in, um, in Arkansas. Well, there's one. My dad actually went to this one, UALR, or they're calling themselves Little Rock now. Went up to Fayetteville, which is the northwest corner of the, uh, of the state of Arkansas, up there in the Ozarks. It's beautiful up there, by the way. Little Rock scored 13 straight runs and went on to whip the Hawks 17-7. So now I know why, and the rest of us too, why the University of Arkansas has never played another team inside their own state. I guess Wachita State is there as well. And now you know the rest. Uh, no, I think there's a trademark on that, even though he's been dead for a long time. Anyway, I'm Pete Davis. This is Holy Crap at Sports. And as always, you can send me um, letters. You can send me questions or suggestions. In fact, I got a suggestion just the other day, and I'll mention his name when I get the story. He wanted me to tell, and you can get me at Pete Davis one on Twitter, at Pete Davis, the number one on Twitter, or you can write me at Pete Davis one at yahoo.com. And this gentleman wrote me up and said, I want you to tell the Mickey Mantle harmonica story that you told on your radio show on uh, Talk 106.7. And I, at first I was like, what are you talking about? I don't even know what you're talking about. And so he reminded me, it's an extremely funny story about the old New York Yankees riding a bus uh, with Yogi Berra and Mickey Mantle egging things on and during a fight on the bus. And you no, know, Mickey was not the peacemaker. Mickey was the one who caused it, which is pretty funny. Anyway, we'll have that story hopefully in the next podcast. We'll have it in the next day or two. And by the way, it is Wednesday, about 7 o'clock at night, Eastern Time, right now. Or is it Eastern Daylight Time? Who cares? Anyway, I'm Pete Davis, and everybody have a lovely time. In fact, pop open a low and brow for me. And I know this is shorter than the last one because we had like a whole year to save up for the first show. So these will be, let's see, I don't know how long this one's going to be, but they'll probably be less than an hour. On some of these. And anyway, everybody have a lovely night. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Let me know. Give me suggestions. And uh, we'll see you down the road.